Good morning, Freedom Church. It is great to be with you this morning. One of my favourite films and books is Lord of the Rings and one of my favourite scenes is in the last film, The Return of the King, where they all face Mordor to fight the last battle and hopefully give Frodo and Sam the time and distraction that they need to destroy the ring. In this scene, you see these huge metal gates begin to open as thousands upon thousands of fighters of Mordor emerge. It is at this point that Aragorn makes this brilliant speech to a fearful and doubting army, unsure that their fellowship will see them through, unsure in their courage to fight against this evil, unsure that they'll be able to overcome. And we're going to watch this short clip now. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! In this short but motivating speech, you see Aragorn reminding the people why they are stood there together in that moment. Because they cling to the hope that evil shall not dominate and triumph that good is worth fighting and giving yourself for. And he reminds them and recalls out of them the very purpose, the very reason for why they are standing there. And you go on to see them charge against a massively outnumbered army with a zeal and conviction as all who they are, what they believe and stand for has been reawakened in them. The passage we are looking at this morning is a similar call. Paul is displaying to us this amazing declaration as to just who Jesus is that we worship and have placed our trust in. Just who it is that we have pledged our allegiance to and why we can stand with confidence in the faith that we hold. That there is no one who has more authority, power or greater wisdom than our God. That he is supreme above all rulers, powers, dominions, and that he is ruling now in heaven, seated on the throne. So let's jump into today's passage, which is found in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. And it says this, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul wants us to grasp that Jesus is over all. He has totally overcome. He has already won. He holds the victory and we can stand with boldness and courage, firm and secure in his leadership, in his love and in his provision. If Aragorn's army was motivated by a speech reminding them of why they were there to hold on to the hope that evil does not have the final say, we can have even greater confidence than that. For on the cross and through the tomb, Jesus defeated the hold and power of evil. It is finished. He has overcome and he will return to earth one day soon, triumphant and glorious as the risen Lord of all and over all to restore the world to how he intended, to rid the world of pain and suffering and tears and hate. Paul is calling us to lift our gaze towards this Jesus, to gain that right perspective of that he is not just the humble servant born as a baby who died as a man for the sins of the world. He totally conquered the hold of sin and death over our lives and made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to present us wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We can stand before the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who rules eternally, spotless and blameless before him without any condemnation, because he has totally covered us. It is his gift to us, without any, that he, sorry, it is his gift to us that he delighted to give, as it says in Hebrews 12, verses one to two. It was for the joy set before him of being reconciled with his creation, with his sons and daughters, that he endured the cross, bearing the burden of all our shame and inability to stand right before him, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. We truly were, as it says in this passage in Colossians, totally alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behaviour, totally helpless and unable to live up to God's standard. And yet, as Chris referenced last week in Colossians 1 verse 13, he has totally rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as Philippians 2 brilliantly says and summarises, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross.
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What does this mean for us? Why is Paul exalting to the Colossian church and also us today, Jesus in all his supremacy, glory and authority. Because he is challenging us to consider, have we got too small a view of Jesus? Because it is crucial for our faith, for us to remain established and firm, that we continually lift our gaze heavenwards to where he is alive and living today. We can so easily lose sight of who Jesus is and the power and authority he has. We can often not live in this reality and feel defeated or overcome or that Jesus just isn't big enough for the issue facing our world or lives today or that he just doesn't have enough authority to overcome the challenges that we face. Or we can try and fit him into our understanding of who he should be or where we feel comfortable and not allow him to reveal himself to us in all his authority and power. We may prefer to think of him as a man walking the earth, but he is the victorious king reigning in heaven. Jesus has total authority. For the Colossian church, there was teaching that was being circulated that said that Jesus wasn't enough. He didn't have total authority. This teaching urged the Colossian church to change their view of the Jesus that they first heard of and to adopt these additional things in order to be truly saved. But Paul's whole message here to the Colossian believers is this, cling to, hold fast to the hope held out to you in the gospel that you first received. He is reminding them who Jesus is that they place their trust in and how Jesus and nothing else is all they need. He is the complete truth. He is the fullness of God. He is secure salvation. What does this mean for us today? We are to, as it says in this passage, cling to, hold fast to the hope that we hold in the gospel. We too will face many temptations and pulls on our hearts to lessen who we see Jesus as. We may be told that he is outdated or culturally irrelevant. People will try to change this Jesus that Paul reminds us of in Colossians to better fit with the teachings of the day. And that is the wrong order. We have lost sight of who Jesus is when we start to do this. He is, as Paul reminds us, the creator of all things, the first and the last. He has total supremacy and it is only in him as he reveals himself to us, that we can find security and trust. The world did not come first and then God, so that the world, so that as the world progresses, God becomes outdated and irrelevant, or that the world rules over God and Jesus only has partial authority. No, Jesus was before all things and in him, all things hold together. He spoke the world into being and he dictates its end when he will make a new heaven and a new earth. He is the sustainer and giver of life. There will be many pulls on our hearts and our minds to place other things above Jesus on the throne of our lives, to place our families, 
relationships, money, popularity, image, control, fear, just to name a few, on the throne of our lives in exchange for Jesus. And it is as we lose sight of who he is and lessen our view of him that these things can start to dominate. It's a bit like when I was learning to drive. I was awful at looking ahead of the road and I only felt safe and in control of the car if I looked like just a little bit ahead of the steering wheel. And my instructor would continually say to me, look ahead into the road. You need to do that to get a clearer view. And as I built up enough confidence to start to look into the road, I realized, oh wow, there's all this and I can see what is really important for this journey ahead. Similarly to us, when we focus too much within ourselves and don't look ahead to Jesus, we lose that clear view of who it is that we worship, the power that he holds, the divinity that is his, the authority that he has over all things. Paul is urging the Colossian church all throughout this passage, look up, this is the Jesus that we worship. This is who he is. He is totally supreme. And he urges us, do not move from that hope held out to you in the gospel. Paul was urging people to cling to the gospel that they had received, affirming what that message is in this passage and not to be swayed to add to it by so-called greater found knowledge that is greater than Jesus or traditions or customs that they must adopt to receive full salvation but to hold on to the hope in the gospel they received and to continue in their faith established and firm. To not move from the hope held out in, to us in the gospel, I think looks a little bit like this story. There was a young boy of about two to three years old and he was obsessed with finding little pieces of what he would call treasure. These could consist of fluff or most commonly two or one P coins. One day, this little boy runs to his mum shouting, Mummy, look, I found some treasure. To which his mum replied with her usual, Oh, wow, Thomas, look at that treasure. But this time, she doesn't leave it there, but decides to do a little experiment on her two-year-old son. And she goes on to say, That's great, Thomas, but have you seen this? and produces a shiny one pound coin to little boy saying, look how great this is. This is even better treasure. Do you want this treasure instead? And the boy looks at the shiny one pound coin held in his mum's hand. And then he looks back at his treasured two P coin in the palm of his hand. And he shakes his head and he says, no mummy. I got my treasure. And no amount of persuading or reasoning with the little boy could convince him to give up the treasure that he had found or exchange it for something seemingly more shiny. This is what Paul is calling us to do. Once we have found the greatest treasure of all in Jesus, through his gospel, to hold fast and tightly to it and to not let it go of it, to not exchange it for the things of the world that people might try to persuade us is better or brings more freedom, but to hold tightly to the treasure of Jesus that we have found and that we know is the greatest treasure of all.
When we view Jesus as less than who he is, or change who he is, the church becomes ineffective. For he is the head over the church. He is the leader. He is the one who sustains and upholds the church. He is the one who gives life to the church. He is the one who causes the church to grow. He is the one who saves and transforms lives. It is he who heals and brings restoration. It is he who binds up the brokenhearted and lifts up the crushed in spirit. It is he that restores dignity and value to human life for he created all people and loves all and longs for all to be reconciled to him through trust and faith in Jesus. The enemy longs to snuff out our confidence in Jesus, to cause us to question his authority, to question if what he really says goes, to cause us to be ineffective in the world as ambassadors of his, for that is who we are when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We are his ambassadors here on earth, his messengers. We are to go into all the world spreading the good news of Jesus, making disciples of every nation and baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Knowing that we can have full confidence in the message we share because of just who Jesus is, just who he has revealed to us about who God is. Jesus is God incarnate. Having this renewed perspective of Christ, fixing our gaze on him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, empowers us, as it goes on to say in Hebrews 12 verse 1, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, to hold true to this message of Christ that Paul exhorts in this passage as Lord of all, totally supreme over all. We see this brilliantly modelled in the story of David and Goliath. The Israelites have forgotten just who their God is, that he is the God that parted the sea to bring them safely, that rescued them from slavery and brought them to a land of their own, that fought their battles for them and granted them success. They see the intimidating Goliath and cower from the Philistine army in total disarray, convinced that they will not be able to overcome this huge giant. But David enters the scene, a small shepherd boy, but with total confidence in the bigness of his God. David knew that Goliath was no match for his God. We need to live like this, live like Jesus really is Lord over our lives, our church and our world. When we get this, we realise like little shepherd boy David, that no matter how giant the Goliaths of this world may be, no matter how scary or impressive, we can have full confidence in God's ability to totally overcome. His is the victory. The Israelites' view of God, of who God was, of who Yahweh was, have become too small. When we have too small a view of God, fear reigns as it did with the Israelites. It totally stopped them from advancing and it can stop us from advancing with the good news of Jesus and seeing that overcome, him overcome. But David walks in, holding a large view of who God is and having full confidence in the almighty God that he is supreme. 
There are lots of Goliaths facing the church and our faith today that seek to strip our belief that Jesus truly is on the throne. We can react like the Israelites and cower and be stilted in our movement, or we can act like David and know that our God is greater, our God is stronger. It only took a small shepherd boy with total faith in who his God was to defeat an entire army. Think of the effect that would be seen if a whole church, if the whole body of Christ lived in this reality. What would we see overcome? Stories of revival often start with small groups of people that persevere in totally believing that God is still in control, that he is still Lord and that he is still sovereign. In Colossians 1 verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And Jesus, after rising victorious from the grave and ascending to heaven to rule over all things at the right hand of the Father, has sent us his Holy Spirit so that the fullness of God may dwell in us. He has given us his authority. He gives us the words to speak, the faith and strength we need. He gives us the hope and perseverance to keep chasing after him and his goodness. He gives us all things and holds all things together for his glory. As Paul also declares in Ephesians 3 verse 16 to 19, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his Holy spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We are to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. But it begins with having a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and who we are in him. We have to refix our gaze upon our wonderful risen King Jesus who rules with all imaginable power, wisdom and authority, who calls us child and we get to call him father. This is the wonderful love story of the gospel, that this King of kings and Lord of lords would demonstrate his love for us in such a costly and extravagant way and that leaves us in awe and wonder at our amazing Jesus. Paul is urging us to rise up in the fullness of God. The gospel of Jesus is the hope for the world. It is a lifeline to those who are perishing. It is the solution to our broken, messy and hurting world. It is the answer to our purpose that we were created for God and by God and are truly satisfied and at peace when we place our lives in his hands, when we choose to follow and trust in Jesus. This perspective of Jesus that Paul brings is not circumstantial. It is not for when we feel we are winning and soaring in our faith. In fact, Paul was writing this declaration from prison. It is our firm and secure hope, an anchor for the soul. It is who Jesus is, full stop. Nor is being Jesus' ambassadors on earth and declarers of his gospel to the world something we need to feel pressured by or burdened by, thinking, I just don't have enough confidence or enough authority or the right words or I don't know how to pray the right prayers because it's not about us, it's all about him. 
He clothes us with his authority. It is not our authority, but his working in and through us. A final story to help us understand this is a story I remember hearing many years ago in a talk at a summer camp, and it's always stuck with me. There is a father and a little girl of about three or four, and the dad goes to build a fire, and the little girl really wants to help her dad build this fire. So off they go together, and they collect and chop down some wood, and they build it up to make a fire, and then they light it, and there are a few tiny flames at the bottom of this tower of wood. And the father says to his little girl, blow on the flames. So she does, and nothing happens. So he says again, blow once more on the flames. So she does, but again, nothing happens. And he says to her again, blow one more time on the flames. And so she takes a deep breath in and, and the fire roars up in flames and she screams with joy, Daddy, look, Daddy, we did it. But what the little girl hadn't noticed was that on that last blow, stood behind her was her father. And as she spat all over the flames, he blew from behind her, which caused the flames to rise and take light. This is exactly what it is like with our father. With just our words or just our ideas, we are like that little girl trying to blow on the fire. But when we do it hand in hand with our father, for every little breath that we utter out, he is behind us, breathing his authority, power and life over it. But he calls us to do it with him. He wants to use us for us to join with him in bringing his kingdom here on earth. So to close, what is our view of Jesus today? Has he become overshadowed by other things, by the cares or worries of this world? Have we dethroned him from our hearts a little and placed other things on the throne of our lives? Have we lost sight of just who he is? As we worship together in a moment, can I encourage you to open your hearts afresh to him this morning, for him to fill you afresh with his breath of life, for him to blow away the cobwebs of apathy, to breathe life into dry areas and to captivate our hearts afresh with his love, to show us afresh just who he is. I pray that this morning would act as a great commissioning call for the body of Christ to rise and stand in all who Jesus has called us to be, to grasp firm hold of the truth and to march with newfound bravery, courage and zeal as we have heard the Father's call. He is calling us to stand in all he created us to be to go out in his authority and power, to bring his message of hope to the world, to shine for him in the darkness and to not let go or move from the hope held out to us in the gospel, that we may continue in our faith, established and firm in who Jesus is. So will we stand, church, firmly rooted and established in our faith to show Jesus as he truly is to the world.